This is Pablo Hidalgo from Lucasfilm, and you're listening to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. because uh, we didn't capture it the right way or some people very, very appreciate it because we, we captured it in a, a very uh, fable-like way, but it's very real, relatable, believable. We really appreciate that, you know, because if anything, we always talked about telling a story to start a conversation, not to tell anybody what to think or what to tell or how to feel anything. It's more about, can we initiate conversation with our audience? Here are your hosts, Jamie Green and Justin Connors. This is the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash the GBB Podcast, Twitter at the GBB Podcast, and on your favorite podcast download app, client, whatever. I don't know. You can, you can find us. You're smart. You're, you're tech you're, savvy. You're podcatcher of choice. <laughs> exactly. And Jamie, you are fresh back. I don't know if we really want to talk about this today, but you're fresh back from an awesome cruise. That must have been exciting. The yeah, I was. Great. I went on the uh, the Joko cruise. Um, and if you've listened to, uh, you know, Justin put me on the spot. I don't know what number it was, but if you go back and listen to, we had Jonathan Colton and Paul and Storm on the show, um, and we talked quite a bit about the cruise at that point. Um, but it just happened. This is. Uh, well, if you're listening to this, you know, sometime in the future time, it's March of 2017. Um, this was the seventh annual one that they've done. So it was out of San Diego, and we went down around Baja. So we went all the way down to Cabo, um, and then up the other side, which is the Gulf of California, to a really tiny town on the coast there. And they set up a, a music festival in the town square, and there was a food festival, and every day was like comic-con on the boat it was just morning to night panels and 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 um schedule the schedule was full of just tons of stuff so um i think we'll probably maybe we'll do a roundup episode that'd be fun because i could talk it was a full week and i could talk endlessly about this um but uh, i'm not going to bore everybody with it now but uh yeah it was a lot of fun i am i am very very fresh back it was not fun coming home we had some weather awesome yeah, well, that was that wasn't so awesome, but the uh, the week preceding that was pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's uh yeah. We'll have to do a whole complete separate episode. We should on that. That'd yeah. be fun because yeah. you look like you had a lot of fun. I did. So this week, you guys took the you guys by you guys. I, I know that San- Samantha has not talked yet. So, <laughs> um, you and Samantha, Jamie, have took the lead on this interview. So maybe you can tell us about it. What happened? Who did you interview? What's going on? Fill us in. Well, first of all, we should say that Sam is sitting there very quiet-like, so uh, why don't you say hello? <laughs> hello, I'm here. <laughs> um, yeah, so, um, you know, you did so well the first time. <laughs> um, well, you know, what we've been trying to do recently is bring people in who could give a different slant on things, a different voice, a different perspective, maybe are super fans or bigger fans 
um, than one of us might be of who we're talking to. But um, Sam came in on this. We talked to Robert Kondo and uh, Dai Susumi, um, who together form Tonko House. Um, both of them, Robert and Dice, came from. Uh, they come from a from Pixar is their is their background primarily, but they come from a place of of animation and storytelling through that animation, um, and they both at the same time sort of made a similar decision to leave Pixar and start their own company, which turned into Tonko House, and they did the short film uh, The Dam Keeper, which was nominated for an Academy Award, which not many people can say that their first uh, directorial film, short film, whatever kind of film, would get that kind of uh, recognition. But um, if you've not seen it, you really do need to go watch it. Um, It's like $2 on Amazon or something. Just go buy it, watch it. You will not be sorry. Like, it's only... What is it, Sam? Like, 15 minutes? Not even? Yeah. 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 Just shy of 15. And it it was amazing. I, I bought it on Amazon and watched it. I had seen it before, like a while ago. I don't remember where. Um, and when we were preparing for this, I'm like, I should go rewatch that. And honestly, I didn't catch the nuance the first time through. And maybe it's things going on in life right now, but it really spoke to me yeah. the second time. And I ended up watching it a couple of times over the span of a few days. And it was very moving and and possibly not even the way they intended like uh, they were telling us that the whole um the aspect of pig being picked on or bullied or or however whatever term you feel like using they used i i I think they shied away from the bullying term Mm -hmm. a bit during the interview that really spoke to me the second and third time around and and it, it's still speaking to me quite a bit, and it's just amazing how that's not even their focus in it, that yeah. part of it. And that that touches so many people. It was just amazing that the subplot would be so powerful. Yeah, it's... This little tiny 14-minute or whatever film was amazing. Yeah, it is. It's amazing that a 15-minute film can... You can pull different things out of it depending on on your own background and perspective and and the mood that you're in at the, in the moment. Um, so yeah, if you've not watched The Damn Keeper, you need to go watch that. Um, they've also they're they're expanding out on that world of The Damn Keeper and the characters that they introduced in that film. Um, they're currently working on a trilogy of graphic novels for first second books. Uh, we talked to them a little bit about that. I've uh, we've read the first book of the series it comes out in the fall i want to say august or september um it's gorgeous if you if you've watched the film you know the kind of the, they went for the same aesthetic um and so it it looks very similar um but yet it it it, it breathes new life into that world because they're allowed to flesh it out and expand on it and and dive deeper into the world into the characters so they're telling it's a it's a new story sent set a couple years after the uh, events of the film, so it's not like rehashing what was in the film. Um, but they're also doing other things, like they're they're doing a series, a television series um, for Hulu Japan um, that's also set in the same sort of storytelling world with those characters. Um, but they're doing other things beyond The Damn Keeper. They're, they, uh, they're working on other films. They're working on other... Both of them are artists in addition to being animators. 
Um, so we talked to them a lot about, obviously, the Dam Keeper, about the books that are coming out. Um, we talk a little bit about Moom, which is uh, the second film that the, they worked on, um, and in sort of where they're coming from in terms of inspiration and what the, 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 those films are based on. Uh, Moom is based on a children's story, so why they went with... We talked a little bit about why they decided to go with an existing property rather than an original story. Um, but if you if you are a fan of animation, and if you like this show, that you pro- then you probably are, because we talked to a lot of animators. Um, if you're a fan of The Dam Keeper, uh, if you're a fan of graphic novels and first book it, first second books in particular, um, there's a lot, a lot to love here. Sam, awesome. have, did, so, did I miss anything, Sam? Do you have anything else you want to say before we dive in? That was very thorough. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, one thing that no, no, no. One thing I would like to add is, uh, m- much like you know, all of my experiences have been so far in participating. Um, this would be my third time participating on your podcast. Um, is just how stinking nice everybody yeah. <laughs> is. It's just, I mean, you know, they're, they're not going to come on and insult you. I, I mean, <laughs> but they're just so open to questions that may even be a little uncomfortable to answer. I mean, I think we did kind of ask them a few squirm worthy questions about, you know, what happened, you know, to make them want that subplot about. Yeah. Um, pig being picked on so mercilessly and and, and those are very private questions and, and the same thing with the prior uh, interview I did with you it, it, just so forthcoming so open so eager to connect not only with us but with um, other people and fans or n- new people who don't know anything about their work and these guys were no exception yeah. I, I I hesitate to use it because it's you know it's kind of quaint and and very midwestern but they were they were sweethearts <laughs> they really were. I loved listening to them. And I wasn't as vocal on this one because I wasn't as familiar with their work as I'd been with some of the other folks. But it was just amazing to listen to them yeah. speak. I didn't want to interrupt them. Yeah. They, they, they're they full would of go stories. And they would, <laughs> yeah, they would take yeah. our question and go fully with it. Like <laughs> I didn't need to follow up with things. And <laughs> Yeah, they, they were good. They were fun to just I, – I was like – it was like they were telling me a story on the podcast. And I just wanted to listen. It was it was that good. And if you're not sold by now, dear listener, then I don't know what's wrong with you because we're this is the, this is we're not trying to give this a hard sell because it doesn't need it, but we're doing it anyway because it was just so awesome. So please listen, listen. We're gonna stop talking now. So, all right, all right. So we're gonna go play that interview for you right now. Hope you enjoy. Robert and Dice, thank you guys so much for taking the time to talk. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Um, when you decided uh, to further explore the world of the Dam Keeper after you made the the short and you decided that you were gonna you had more stories to tell and you were gonna con- continue and return to that, what made you choose graphic novels as opposed to doing more animation, whether it be short films or something else? You know, graphic novels, I mean, it wasn't actually immediately our first thought to go into graphic novels. Um, we are working, you know, the Dam Keeper, we were working on several different things. One of the things we were working on is this feature film idea, and that was kind of one of our big aspirations when we started Tonko House. Mm-hmm. And we began working with this producer, Kane Lee, who was uh, out of New York and really amazing uh 
producer who had begun producing things freelance and was working closely with us and kind of developing the feature. And he brought up one idea of, you know, finding someone we'd like to work with to develop it into a book, into whether it was a children's book or a graphic novel, but some other kind of property to start to explore the story. And Dice and I were a little bit hesitant at first because a lot of times publishers come with their own ambition uh, with what they want to do with a property like The Dam Keeper. Right. And uh, we ended up finding Mark Siegel. And Mark someone, was someone that Dice had talked to in the past before from First Second. And Mark, just when we talked to him, seemed to really get what we cared about and what we wanted to do with the film, uh, with the story. And mm -hmm. also, he didn't actually mind the fact that we were also planning to take it into a feature film and that was going to be, that actually the graphic novel was going to be a part of our own development as artists and storytellers was part of doing the graphic novels. Mm -hmm. So we kind of organically fell into this. And, and to be honest, we just kind of fell in love with Mark and felt like, oh, this is such like a great, he's such a great person to just bounce stories and ideas off of. And he was someone that we felt like, regardless, was going to help us, you know, kind of refine this story and uh, these characters. And so for us, it was a, it felt very natural at that point that it was the right step for us to take. And given the look of the short, um, you know, we felt like, oh, it'll be a breeze compared to doing, you know, tons of frames, just one frame for kind of story beat um of course it's not quite that simple we found out but uh <laughs> but it's been a lot of fun we basically are kind of using it as both visual development but also to learn a little bit more about the publishing world and the graphic novel world and mark's been an incredible coach and mentor to us as well as his first second team yeah yeah they're, they're a they're a phenomenal publisher and i don't think that i found a first second book that i didn't immediately fall in love with i mean everything they put out is just it's so lovingly created um, and it's it shows in the finished product, and I've just loved every book they've put out. So, yeah, you, you guys found a good home, I think. Oh, that's good to hear. <laughs> good to hear. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you exactly about what you just kind of hinted at, is that you know, you've managed to, with the book, retain the same aesthetic of the, of the film, um, and I think that's pretty remarkable because the, the animation that you had felt very unique, and it felt very different from what you, we would typically see, but you kept that very, very similar look in the book. Um, how hard really was that to accomplish? I, mean, I know it's not just taking one frame and putting it on the page, and that's that, So, but how hard was keeping that look and translating it to a different medium? I, I think, uh, this is Dice. Um, I. I think in a way it, that was probably the easier part because in a way, the the way our short uh, ended up looking was the result of the way we paint and we illustrate. So you know we both come from um, animation studios, just creating concept art, and that's that's exactly how we painted. And if, if anything, when we made the short, um, without really knowing. Um, you know how to really make a film as a directors and writers we just kind of went into our comfort zone of just oh let's just use our paintings and somehow make it move mm. um, of course we ended up learning how hard it was <laughs> but at the time the short um, made sense to look like that so to translate that look into graphic novel that was not bad at all Mm -hmm. uh, because that's how we normally paint. But um, 
what we found out was just like Robert said, um, you know, the, the telling a story through graphic novel uh, format has its own sort of uh, art, and we realized how different it is from film, and uh, and how different it is from just making illustrations. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, I got to say, we really struggled a little bit in the beginning to make sure that our illustrated, uh, you know, art still translates as a story in panels. And, um, and not, you know, uh, not to mention that it, it, it took much longer than we expected because we had to paint every panel. Uh, but part of it, again, is that we just didn't know how else to do. Uh, you know, normally graphic novel uh, art might be a little bit simpler, <laughs> even if it's in color. It's more like a flat colors and not really fully painted. And it's just that we just never done it before that yeah. we didn't know how to go about that. Yeah. Um, the film felt like a very natural extension of your you, the, the animation experience you had prior to starting Tonko House. I mean, for lack of a better word, for, for lack of a better term, and you'll have to excuse me, it had a very strong Pixar style, storytelling style. You know, Aside from the narrator, it, w it was wordless, it was very emotional, it, it spoke to these universal feelings that many of us feel. Um, it, how much of a challenge was it for you when you made the shift to the books to give voices to those characters who didn't have voices when you originally presented them. Yeah, I, I, I think that's something that, uh, like you said, was one of the biggest challenges. T taking all of these ideas and uh, what's great, what, what, one of the things that I, we really enjoyed about making the short was finding how people, even though Pig didn't speak, that he had a specific tone to him and a specific voice to him. Mm -hmm. Um, so when we started to write things, it was interesting to hear ourselves and other people say, well, Pig would never say that. Um, and, and actually, it, even though we would write out all this dialogue, especially for Pig, he still is a quiet character who doesn't speak much. Yeah. Um, and so it was more about learning how to pair back and find those voices in a way that, uh, you know, whether the characters have voices or not, there's a lot of development that we put into the short. We talked a lot about who these characters are, how they spend their time off the screen as well as on the screen. Um, so it's not like we didn't know the characters. It actually felt like the, the right next step for us to kind of sit down and have to articulate who are who are these characters and, and what are they about and what do they care about in their day to day. And, and then, you know, I think for us more than anything, it was about the craft of, gra of making a graphic novel. How do you create the same feelings like pacing or, or a voice? You know, how, how do, what are the tools we use using different fonts or different kinds of bubbles or different size text to kind of, you know, imply whispering? And, and I think for a lot of people who are a lot more savvy in graphic novels, and actually Dice is from Japan, so graphic novels in Japan and the way that things are written in Japan and, and especially like sounds, sound effects and things like that are used yeah. in a very different way. So learning how to actually not just find the voice, but actually learning the craft of graphic, graphic novels and kind of how we knew how to do things with voice and film, but how do we actually translate into graphic novels was, was actually the biggest challenge I felt like um, to discover how to do that and, and remain honest to the characters. Yeah. Yeah, and I have to imagine, like like you were saying, when you went when you developed the short film, you you probably already had 
the voices for each of the characters in your heads, even though they didn't actually speak. Like you were saying, like, you know, Pig would never say that. You probably, because you, you were so close to the characters, you already knew them so well. So giving them voice and giving them dialogue probably felt like a natural extension of what already existed inside of your own head. Yeah, absolutely. At least, you know, that's how we felt. I mean, you guys will have to tell us, like, if you felt like... I, I, yeah, I do. I mean, I, I read the book and I feel like none of the characters act different, that differently from how I would have expected them to in, from the film. You know, I mean, they, they feel very much that, like they're the same characters, which that's I would great. imagine is what you were aiming for. So, good. <laughs> yeah, that's great to hear. <laughs> Um, when you collaborated on the film, I know that you did some things together, like writing and storyboarding, and then you also did some things separately when it came to the animation. How did you divide up the work for the book? Uh, let's see. So, um, you know, just like the film, uh, we, we, you know, we developed a story together. Uh, we storyboard, so you know I don't know how other graphic novel artists uh, go about their uh, stories. So we really have no idea if it's conventional or not. But we basically storyboard our um, our the entire book, and we do it together. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once we kind of lock down the story, we we do this thing called a workbook. Uh, it's it's a bit of an animation production terms. Uh, I'm assuming it's kind of like a clean up uh like cleaning up the board so mm-hmm. that it, it looks almost like a final except that it's just a line work mark called it uh i think penciling penciling okay. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. In, in in japanese manga they call it naming uh, i don't know why but uh, <laughs> uh so the workbook uh in general robert took over because uh he's a much stronger uh kind of uh especially when it comes to pencil work uh you know he did that and we wanted to make sure once before we start painting all the characters and the designs look had the same look when we were boarding we had slightly different looks mm-hmm. um so we needed one person to take care of the workbook and i kind of do a little more of the back end um you know just finishing up the painting especially lighting um and uh one one thing about you know we're not publishing, but the actual workbook which was done in line artwork, mm-hmm. uh, mainly by Robert, um, it actually looks like more of a conventional comic book, like you know line work with the black and white kind of shading. Mm-hmm. And uh, I personally wanted to release that version because it looks so beautiful, but you know Robert insisted that we painted, um, so we ended up uh, spending <laughs> extra months and months to paint. <laughs> I like how that landed yeah. on me. Yeah. But, <laughs> but but also one thing that I love to mention is that we had a, a team of uh, painters to help us. Um, book one definitely for sure, but you know, book two we're actually about to finish, and book two we had a really uh, we relied on our team to do a lot more. But basically, we had a, a few artists um, painting. Um, you know just in a similar style, just like animation production, we had a painters that we trust, uh, our team, and uh, realizing our art uh, in the same way that we would have done, um, but so that we can focus on the story part and then the basic design and the final touch-up we do, but we had a really talented people um, helping this book uh, yeah. realize in the way that it yeah. came out. 
I wonder, a lot of graphic novels will include in the back, like, you know, concept sketches and, and you know, things that were art that they want to share that, uh, that changed as a result of development, but they still put it in the back as sort of like a quote-unquote special feature. I wonder if any of that line art that uh, that you like so much is going to make it into the back of any of the books. Well, right now, the book one, uh, because of the page count, uh, we just didn't have room to include that. Yeah. Uh, so it's very kind of, part of it is also we, we kind of like the way the, the entire book design came about in a very clean, just not much excess stuff mm -hmm. outside of our actual story, uh, especially since our our book itself, I think people, hopefully people can appreciate the art of that final look. Um, but our hope is that at some point, eventually in the future, if people like it enough or if for a second wants to, that maybe we can do a separate art edition. Book. Yeah, because we do have a tons of tons of artwork that I, I think it'll be a shame not to share. Oh, that'd be great. Uh, yeah. Um, I talked to you guys for Geek Dad back when the book was first announced, and uh, you had mentioned that the story that you're telling, um, at least in the book, is a, it's a personal one, and it relates to an experience that Dice you had actually had in, in your real life. I was wondering if you could elaborate on that at all, if you were willing to share. Yeah, maybe it's easier to, the way we had that conversation. Well, we, so maybe. the anecdote itself, maybe, you know, that's really up to to you if you want to share but I you know I think overall like uh, and, and I, uh, forgive me if it's repeating a little bit but you know for us uh, all of these stories you, you end up spending you know like so many artists you end up spending so much of your time yeah. um, on these projects and it's it really is kind of a marathon where you just need to find energy in all sorts of places wherever you can get it um, and keep moving forward and you know, after being at Pixar for a while and seeing what some of the best of their projects uh, accomplished and how they accomplished it, one thing we kind of walked away with was really whatever projects we do um, or any projects we work with and collaborate on, we need to find a, some sort of level of personal connection to it. Mm -hmm. um, that's where we find that we can always find energy because the film actually holds importance and especially I think in the the world we live in now, I feel like, you know, the, the kind of personal voices that we have and how we feel and, and what we're going through um, is how I think we can best relate to our audience. Um, and so this story really came from a, a story of Dice growing up and uh, uh, his relationship with his family. Um, not to say that it mirrors that, but that was definitely where this whole story started. Sure. We didn't have this real strong desire to come back to the one world we created together. You know, we left uh, to start Tonko House, and we were ready to make all sorts of things. And we have all sorts of different ideas and different worlds and characters and stories. But the reason why we came back to um, the Dam Keeper was because of this personal story that Dice had about um, him and his family. And... Uh, that just resonated with me so much. Um, just seeing Dice talk about it and, and knowing Dice and knowing how much how much I understood about Dice and hearing that this kind of story. And it just felt like it's not just a story that I felt like I wanted to tell. I felt like it was one of those stories that at some point in his life I wanted to make sure Dice told this story. Yeah. Um, and so it easily, quickly, just talking about it became our first big film project. So... 
um, that's really how we hope to kind of continue creating things is starting with who we are as people and not trying to tell stories that are outside of the scope of what we understand as, as people um, and try to find a way to get those stories through, you know, characters, of an whether, whether they're animals or fantastic worlds. I think at the heart of it is, is truly a, a story about people. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, this is Samantha. It's my first time speaking figure. I should introduce myself a little bit there. But um, I, I did want to pop in on this particular topic because like I think many people who watched the film and who are reading this first volume of your graphic novel, this story struck a very familiar chord with me, um, especially in my very, very younger years. I was often picked on. I was tiny, weird looking. Uh, I liked strange things that no other little girls <laughs> that I went to school with liked. Uh, I was odd. And so, like Pig, I kind of had to find my own ways to cope with that. And uh, now that I'm way older, um, I realize that my sense of humor, uh, this need that I have within me to make sure everyone around me feels included and welcomed, whether that be into my home or in, into, you know, just a social situation or at work, if there are new people or if I see somebody wandering around, I've got to make sure that person feels okay, that they're included. And even my drive to succeed now uh, with my with my work and with other projects I take on, I think that to some degree, that's because of those experiences I've had. Um, and what I was wondering was, do you get feedback from people who say, you know, I totally identify as pig or even fox or hippo, or maybe I started as a pig and now I'm a fox, you, you know, like, do you get that kind of feedback from people like fan mail kind of feedback? Yeah, Samantha, thank you so much for sharing your story. Cause, uh, that's one of those, uh, moments where we get this you know, maximum satisfaction when we hear feedback like that. And, and indeed, we have heard so uh, many feedbacks like that from many different people who experienced similar things through their, you know, individual lives. And, uh, and we always talked about, you know, our short and even this comic book uh, story that the story, it, it is really not about bullying, uh, bullying but it is the very natural social um, dynamic that we all experience. Um, and one of the things uh, that we always talked about, and I think especially both Robert and I, you know, both of us kind of confessed that, oh, there was a moment in our lives that we were pig or we were hippo, you know? Like there are definitely aspects of us at some point in our lives that you know, I was the bully, like maybe not in the same way as Hippo, but in, if you kind of categorize our characters, everybody kind of possess, possesses all three elements. And Fox being kind of, you know, from the short, she, you know, she's a nice character, but basically she represents a bit of a witness. She represents people around these, you know, bullies and bullied, you know, and I we felt like all three elements we possess and um, we wanted to kind of convey all three characters in a sense because that's the that's very real to our world we live in and it's not only when you're growing up it happens in adults you know the world the society with adults too so um, 
to answer your question, we do get a lot of feedbacks, uh, a lot of encouraging feedbacks, and some people are upset because uh, we didn't capture it the right way, or some people are very, very appreciated because we we captured it in a, a very uh, fable-like way, but it's very real, relatable, believable. Um, and it's we really appreciate that, you know, because if anything, we always talked about telling a story to start a conversation, not to tell anybody what to think or what to tell or how to feel anything. It's more about can we initiate conversation with our audience? Um, yeah, I think this whole experience of kind of telling stories, you know, and getting more involved with both the graphic novel, the feature film, we're doing a series right now. Uh, it's really hard to... You know, in the beginning, I think we all, both Dice and I would always say, like, oh, well, Pig is kind of who we are, but Fox is kind of who we like to be, um, and who, Hippo is really who we like to try to avoid. But as we write these characters, it's impossible not to identify with all of them um, and have to admit, you know, I think uh, both good and bad, who we are and our shortcomings that make us human and people. And uh, But in order to write, you know, like Hippo, I mean, there are moments where, you know, we've written lines for Hippo where we're kind of excited, but we're also kind of looking at each other and like, being like, where did that come from? Uh, <laughs> it's kind of, you know, it, it's it, writing, making film and make, telling stories and graphic novels is really, it's a lot of holding up the mirror um, to yourself, you know, much like an animator does when they're acting out a scene to draw it out. I feel like to tell stories, you're constantly holding up this mirror and looking in, looking at yourself and having to admit like who you are and who you are not. And um, I think that's why like, you know, for us, it's amazing to work with, you know, Mark, because I think Mark really gets that and understands that about what we're trying to do. And that for us, it's as much therapy as it is kind of, um, you know, a creative endeavor that we're having fun with. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it's, I, yeah, I agree. Thank you for sharing. Cause, cause it's really great that that kind of feedback and hearing about that kind of thing is is, is the most rewarding for us. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Felt like I had to say thanks back. <laughs> um, so my day job um, when I'm not here talking to lovely people like you, my day job is in educational publishing, and the company that I work for one of the central tenets of of what we do and when the. In, what what we stand for is on whole child education and that obviously includes a, a big focus on social and emotional learning um so in in reading about what you guys have been doing with the story and the film particularly it was it was kind of a thrill to see that you take the film into classrooms and you address these issues with students one-to-one -one. i was wondering if you could talk a little bit about uh the dam keeper educational project and whether you're still visiting classrooms and and how that's been going and how well it's been received yeah, I think uh, um, uh, it was one of those um, things that just came out of uh, our sort of festival uh, experience. experience. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Francisco Film Society had this uh, program, you know, film, you know, they take films to uh, classrooms in San Francisco, and we just got to be a part of it, you know, when we first. Uh, you know, started taking Dam Keeper uh, around. And, uh, you know, out of all the fancy, amazing festival kind of visits, that was really our favorite experience uh, while, you know, 
just showing our film in the kind of small, somewhat dingy classrooms <laughs> and, you know, showing, uh, projecting off of our laptop. And, but just the reaction we got from our fifth grade students yeah. just really stayed with us. So the following year, we contacted the uh, film society again, and we just said, can we, can we do this like uh, as a actual program? Like, can we, can we build something off of it? We really felt um, that was one of the most rewarding. If anything, what Samantha was talking about, like we, we really loved when the audience reacted to kind of bring on their own personal stories and personal experiences reacting to the film. Um, so we kind of did that, we kind of experimented it at that point. Um, and then we worked with the, uh, some of the educators and, you know, as film society, you know, um, and, uh, we made the program and that was really, really successful. Uh, we have such a great time. We, we, we aren't currently we're, we're not quite equipped, uh, in terms of our schedule and, um, the time to pursue that just yet, but we have that program in our hand and we love to find a way to continue. Uh, so when we made our second film moon, which came out last year, we did the same thing with the San Francisco film society. And again, the same result that the kids, the, the way kids started talking about what they thought about it, how their personal experiences in relation to the characters in the film, even though it's not necessarily like a textbook kind of classroom mm -hmm. thing, we felt like there was something that kids were trying to learn. And educators, you know, who got involved in the program really appreciated in a way just using this kind of film or even stories as a medium to kind of pull some um, learning opportunity for kids. Right. I, I think some of the, you know, some of the educators we discussed, you know, showed the film to and talked about starting to develop this program with their first instinct, and we understood it, was to actually make it sort of an anti-bullying film. Um, we actually had a sh strong feeling that, that that is one possibility, but we really like this idea, like Dice is talking about, that for us, filmmaking was about just the opportunity to talk about the world around us. And if we could kind of bring kids into this place where, you know, there are a lot of different ways that kids can express themselves and the, the ways that are conventional to especially public education programs are not the only ways that, uh, you know, both Dice and I found alternative ways to express ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we wanted to present that aspect of it. We wanted to give the kids an opportunity to create their own characters, draw their own characters, but you know, to really start with, hey, let's talk about the world around us and then use that to kind of inspire fictional characters in a fictional world. And, um, and it was really fun for us. I mean, I, I think it was really rewarding and there was a lot of great people involved. And you know, unfortunately right now, like I said, we, we just don't have the resources to kind of go as often as we'd like and do it as often as we'd like. Sure. But uh, with all of the films, we you know, part of the reason why we were still busy back then, but part of the reason why we made it a priority for us is because we hope as we scale that this is still remains a part of our company and um, how we, you know, taking responsibility also a bit of responsibility for how our film is digested yeah. and in what context. Yeah. Um, so it was important for us. You know, I think I, I really hope the kids got a lot out of it, but 
you know, more than anything, I think it was important for us. Sure. Well, I wanted to flip this around because I know when you took the film into the classrooms, like you were saying, you you, you wouldn't just talk about the, the the one or two themes that they pulled out of it, but they you would talk more generally about storytelling and they let the kids draw their own conclusions and 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 figure out what does this character mean to you and and what does this this represent. I'm wondering for you, what does the fog represent? Yeah, one thing we, um, I think it might be a little more in depth in the comic, uh, the graphic novel, but you know, from the short, we always wanted to represent, you know, our protagonist's uh, internal darkness and how he's dealing with his darkness. So, you know, the dam kind of represents the way he's holding this darkness uh, within himself. And sometimes it breaks, you know, and sometimes you need to work to keep that dam going or, you know, sometimes it's not strong enough. Or, you know, whatever that mm-hmm. is, it, it's an internal representation or the, it's a re- representation of his internal um, darkness, mm-hmm. the struggle. So, you know, obviously it has a bullying theme to it. Um, and one of the things that I thought of was as we progress through the, the next chapters or the, the graphic novels and anything that follows along after the original film, will we see um, an end or a lessening to Pig's struggle? Like, are we going to see him start to overcome that darkness, that need for a dam? And then my next thought was, if you are going to go that way, Will we see like a change in the coloration and tone? Will the artwork be what shows us that change? Since it was such a unique artwork to begin with, it was very intense was actually the word that came to mind when I first watched this was it was a very intense animation style. And I was wondering if that would change any if you decide to go that route. Yeah, those are really great questions. Um, you know. As far as Pig, kind of, uh, you know, one thing in the short that we were really very driven about and, and felt very strongly about in the end of the short, um, Pig has, you know, Pig is in this place that the world around him actually picks up and moves on. And Pig is actually the one who's left, who has to change the way he sees things. His perception has to change. Um, and I think that with this larger story, um, Pig is challenged on kind of such a greater level than he was in the short that, you know, definitely he has to change. Definitely the way he sees his darkness, the way he treats his darkness, um, you know, he's got to grow up. He's got to kind of admit where his some of his shortcomings are and and kind of also embrace who he is um and a lot of this character is about that about embracing who you are and being comfortable in your own skin and uh definitely the story is going to go where you know that's where we're hoping to take it is to really uh round out this character kind of take him to a place that uh hopefully is is a bit unexpected and but also is unexpected in the best ways but also you know, fulfills all our hopes for this character who's been struggling uh, with his own darkness. Um, as far as visually, uh, you know, again, I think we're going to try to amp things up times 10. Um, 
I think the the stakes are much higher this time around. Uh, there's more characters involved. There's more worlds involved. More people involved. Um, you know, there there there's just so much at stake that uh, visually, you know, we want to challenge ourselves too. I mean, I think you know that this whole story takes us into new worlds and new places, and um, that has been a challenge. You know, to kind of add to the world and and build upon it to not just leave it to where people expect it but actually to to build upon that expectation for ourselves even has been a challenge um and you know we're still there's there's three books in the series and we're actually wrapping up book two right about now um and book one is is you know off to the printer um but book three you know we're still in that kind of early stage but this is you know book three is really where um, we've got to take us. We're taking it. We're taking the whole story to a new places that um, we're excited about. So yeah, the expectation for us is to definitely fulfill those desires for ourselves and for the audience. Hopefully, it's exciting. Um, it, it, it's kind of astonishing to me that you're you're telling the same story in so many different formats concurrently. Um, so I have to ask how development of the feature is going and, and what you can share about the latest there. <laughs> yeah, it's been really interesting because, uh, uh, in one hand, it's 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 wonderful to work on uh, our story, whether it's a feature or the graphic novel, uh, that we can really focus on this kind of big epic story that has this theme of you know coming from this central core idea that we sh we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. uh, but the challenge is also that each format needs its own um, storytelling to kind of fit the format. And uh, uh, we got to say, just kind of going back and forth between feature script and uh, graphic novel has been sometimes kind of confusing. Uh, <laughs> you know, some things have to be adjusted for the book and something had to be adjusted in the film format. And, right. and um, yeah, oftentimes we're even kind of mixing things up without knowing and you know luck, luckily our publisher mark and you know robin uh they have been correcting us um uh, pig never said this you know uh <laughs> like you know something that we used in the feature that like oh no he said that before but no like yeah it's never mentioned before in the book but uh uh but again to answer your question the feature is going well we're we're very excited the 20th century fox uh we have a partnership to release this film with, and uh, we're still in the beginning, you know, phase to really uh, kind of making this script as good as we can because we want to make sure uh, we don't compromise that part, mm -hmm. um, that story. And it's really nice in that sense. Actually, having graphic novel is really wonderful because that's our map, that's our world map, and uh, there's a tendency, especially in the, you know, big kind of animation production that you kind of keep working on the story too long and you start to second guess too much and but having uh, kind of a a bit of a bible um in this graphic novel form is wonderful yeah um, so the the film the feature is covering the same ground as the graphic novels or is it going to be a slightly different story or can you not say It'll be, you know, I, I think like 
like any story that is being developed, this is kind of its early incantation, but I would say at this point, there's quite a bit of a divergence between. Okay. Um, there are some things that I definitely think will uh, be there in terms of overall where we're trying to take the characters and things like that, but it, it is a different film, and I think, uh, to be honest, the medium itself has actually forced some differences as well, like what works better in a graphic novel versus on film um, has also been some of the things that uh, have driven some of the changes. Mm -hmm. um, and then also the fact that we have three books and the three books, you know, we want to stand on its own um, have also kind of created a different sort of pacing um, than the film will have in the end. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and we still have, you know, years to work on the film. So given that right now it's a little bit different, I think as we move forward on it, it'll become its own thing. Sure. Uh, which is great because it keeps us interested. If it was just about, you know, executing the same story and translating it, I, I don't know that um, we'd be holding the interest or of the audience in the sense that when as we make it, we might be losing right. steam. Right. So yeah, it's it's a it's a bit of a discovery process. I think I think it's like uncovering a fossil and we just pull the rock out and we <laughs> a sledgehammer and started chipping away at it, but. <laughs> You're, you're still scraping away to see what, what you can find, right? Exactly. But it's, I've also seen mention of a 10-episode series for Hulu. Is that The Dam Keeper, or is that a different project? It's Yeah, it is The Dam Keeper, and, and um, this is a, you know, a, a whole other thing that uh, we brought in a, a really excellent creator, uh, former Pixar animator, Eric Goh, who, um, you know, we worked with he was our supervising animator on the short and uh, he officially joined Tonka House to to direct this series you know um, and it's for Hulu Japan and hopefully um, you know we, we get to share outside of Japan as well at some point but um, we kind of let Eric run with it uh, so you could say a bit of a prequel like it's before the short okay. but we didn't really tell him that, you know, we, we told him, don't worry about connecting too much to the world of the Dam Keeper as long as we stay true to the characters and stay true to the to the world. You know, in terms of a story, um, just just take it to the, you know, to your world. And Eric has his kind of distinct style of storytelling and, and it, it's, it's actually in the middle of production right now. We're creating it in-house and... You know, half of the uh, series is actually already wrapped out in animation, which is really incredible. But it's really wonderful. But it's not at all uh, in the same story plot. Um, okay. Yeah, one thing about you know where we are, bringing on artists and artists like Eric O. You know, it was great to have. He was our supervising animator on The Dam Keeper, and. It was great. We, we knew that we if, if we ever could cross paths with Eric again, we would jump at it. Um, but, you know, the feature development takes a long time and, you know, all, all of these things take a while. And it didn't quite seem to make sense to bring him in to work on the graphic novel just yet. And then this opportunity came up to work on a series and we thought, man, this is our opportunity to bring Eric in and, and to just let Eric do his thing with our, I mean, no one knows these characters, you know, we don't, tr Eric's one of those people that we just trust with our characters because he's worked with them for so long and cares for them as much as we do. And Eric, we just kind of felt like, hey, do your thing. Don't worry. Because Eric has, 
if you've seen his work, Eric has, I think, at least like a dozen of his own independent films that he's done himself. Mm -hmm. um, and so we didn't also, we wanted him to embrace that about himself and do his own voice. And that's different than The Dam Keeper, but that's the fun of it. And that's yeah. kind of where we are as a company, too, that we can have fun with our characters and let them go into it. So the style, everything is just different um, than what we've done before. And uh, we don't feel necessarily... Like we have, like because the Dam Keeper does, it is well known for its aesthetic. You know, a lot of people talk about its aesthetic before they talk about anything. And yeah. for us, you know, that's just a means to an end. It's a, it's kind of a, it's a great tool to have to tell stories. But we're excited. You know, we're artists. We love playing. Um, so you know, just like when you're kids, it's like playing with Play-Doh or crayons or pencils or cutting out paper. Um, we love playing. So when Eric came on and he wanted to do a short in a different look and a different style, that was exciting to us. And so this series is, I would say, Eric O's take on the Dam Keeper characters and world um, that lives outside of, uh, you know, our current storylines in a way, but is totally in line with the characters yeah. um, and strengthen, uh, strengthen the characters in a big way, I think. And for some people, this will be, you know, the graphic novel, the feature film, or the series might be the first time they see these characters. So um, that's also exciting. There's there's a short out there that people can still discover mm -hmm. um, that a lot of people haven't seen. So, um, you know, sorry for being a bit long-winded, but yeah. I'm just, it's how excited I am about, you know, I think both guys and I are super excited about Eric's series and cannot wait to share it with the world because it's just, the team is doing phenomenal work. And uh, Well, it's exciting. It's, like you were saying, it's exciting to see the same characters in, in this shared world, but take it in so many different directions, um, creatively and, and, and with the story and everything. And uh, yeah, I can only imagine as the creators what that must feel like. But I, I, speaking as a fan, I really do hope that it makes it back here and it doesn't just stay in Japan because I would love to see it. <laughs> yeah, we're working on it. Um, I mean, talking about the different aesthetics and the different artistic styles and loving to play because you guys are artists, um, I want to shift gears for a few minutes, talk about Moom, um, which looks very different from something like The Dam Keeper. Um, I wonder, the shift to 3D CGI, um, after working on The Dam Keeper for so long, was was it a challenge for you to shift back over or did it feel like more of like a, a return to your roots and it's it was more familiar because it was where you came from with something like Pixar? Yeah, I, I think uh, um, initially we went there because it was our roots. Mm -hmm. uh, it is still our roots. Uh, you know, 3D CG animation is really the animation experience both Robert and I have for years and years. And... We thought, you know, oh, like we did the dam keeper, and we, we got our, uh, you know, we, 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 it was, it was really hard, you know, like just painting every frame was really yeah. hard. So let's do the easy way, you know. <laughs> that's kind of what we did with Moom, only to find out later that the CG animation production is just so complicated, and <laughs> you know, working at a place like Pixar, sometimes you, 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 you. You don't. You take things for granted because everybody's so talented and skilled and experienced at a place like Pixar, and, and, and the system is so well run that us being art directors at Pixar, that we only have to worry about certain things. Whereas Moom, even though it's a short, we have to really worry about everything as mm. 
not only as directors, but also, you know, CG animation in Japan is somewhat um, kind of a, a medium that, that they, they're a little bit behind compared to, like, you know, their excellent hand-drawn animation culture. So we had to actually uh, find a way to kind of communicate how things we think might be done better uh, because of our experience coming from Pixar. Mm -hmm. So that you know, we were pretty involved in terms of how things are done and um, a lot of things that they had to do was probably new to the you know, uh, animators in Japan. Um, so, sorry, I probably forgot to kind of mention, but the Moom uh, production was done in Japan right. and we directed uh, from here. And that has its own kind of challenges. Not only it's CG animation, but it's just uh, hard to work, you know, people who live totally on the other side of the planet. Mm. Um, so for those who don't know, Moon was based on an existing children's book. It's not an original story per se. But I was just curious what about that story spoke to you and compelled you to adapt it as a short film? So... Yeah, just much, just like um, um, how we came up with this, you know, feature film or the graphic novel story of the Dam Keeper based on the personal experience of mine. With Moom, because it was a pre-existing story that we initially didn't think it was the right project. We at Tonko House, we really want to make sure the stories needed to be coming from the personal place. Mm -hmm. And uh, adapting someone else's story just kind of didn't quite uh, work out for us. However, it was an amazing, exciting opportunity to, to work with uh, a creators, you know, from Japan who we respected. And the author of the book is just really talented storyteller. She's a film producer, but he writes and, you know, Genki Kamura. And we really wanted to work with him. So... Just like the dam keeper, Robert and I started to do this, you know, what we call the tone class therapy, like a therapy session, you mm -hmm. know, to really dig deep down into our personal, you know, past. And then, you know, after going through a lot of different stories, we found, I mean, Robert shared this story of his great grandmother um, who got hit and run. Um, and you were three years old or four years old? Yeah, four years old. Yeah, And then, you know, even though there's somebody who is so important to, to you in your life, disappears from your world, but you're too young to understand what that means. And that very feeling, we felt like, you know what, that's Moom. Yeah. Moom is dealing with loss, but then what exactly is the, the story here? And we felt like, you know what, that feeling you had that you didn't quite understand, but definitely the feeling was there as a child, losing somebody in your life, that's that's Moom. That's our Moom. So we pitched that idea to the uh, author of the book, mm -hmm. and he loved it. Even though that's a little bit different from how he wrote the book, he felt like, let's make that version of Moom in the film format. And then from there, we decided to pursue production of Moom. Wow. I, I wanted to ask you real quick about music um, because it's so integral to um, your storytelling, but, but you know, the emotional and meaningful storytelling 
and the um, the composers who did the music for both the films, for both the Dam Keeper and Moom, were the same. And I'm just wondering how you originally got connected with them, and um, sort of how you approach the music for both films. Yeah. Uh, so Dice, even before we started Tonko House, actually one of the big inspirations or reasons why the Dam Keeper went the direction it did, as far as its aesthetic, is because of this little promotion video that Dice had done for the sketch travel project. And it really was like he took paintings and basically started adding a few frames to his paintings um, to show it's like a hybrid between a children's book almost and an animation. Mm-hmm. Um, and for that project, he worked with this musician was here that was here in Berkeley that had connected through friends, this Zach Johnston. And Zach was a filmmaker, editor, um, but also as kind of a self-taught musician um, whose sensibilities were just, for lack of a better way of describing it, just really poetic, since, mm-hmm. uh, poetic, sincere uh, sensibilities. And, um, and so we started talking to him early on on The Dam Keeper, um, and he was super excited about the project. He actually was part of a band called, uh, and this is just a coincidence, but their band was called Fox. P-H-O-X. And they were really actually a very, a pretty successful indie pop uh, kind of band. Uh, really great group. Um, and one of the other musicians, a good friend of Zach's, was uh, Matteo Roberts. And Matteo was like a classically trained musician. And so t- the two of them were our composers, both on The Dam Keeper and Moom. And, you know, unlike a lot of what we've seen as far as how animation typically deals with the composers who are usually brought on late in the process after quite a bit of the film and story are done. Mm-hmm. We bring on Zach and Matteo really early on and we actually involve them with the filmmaking process and they do influence our films and how we tell the story and how the music works together. And sometimes, you know, we want to time the animation to the music versus the other way around. And, and so it's a very organic process, and I feel like, you know, with anyone else, they might be annoyed with us for <laughs> requesting things at a certain time, but Zach and Mateo have really grown with us, um, and they're both actually in L.A. right now working on the Damn Keeper series, creating music with Eric O for the Damn Keeper series, and it's just phenomenal. Um, they're doing such a beautiful job. It makes me so jealous sitting on the outside <laughs> of that project. Uh, they're just great, yeah. So they're two individuals that, you know, are really... They're not part of Tonko House, but they are part of the Tonko House family for sure. There's no question yeah. uh, that those guys are a yeah. huge part of what we do. Uh, it's just, I mean, it's just, it's just beautiful. I mean, n- not enough can be said about the animation and the storytelling, but the, the music that you guys, you know, I don't want to say lucked out in, in, in connecting with the film, but, you know, the, the music that you chose and the composers that you, that you went with, it's just, it's, it seems like such a perfect natural fit and it really made the package like the perfect package if, if that makes any sense at all <laughs> well thank, thank you, you for saying that yeah that's amazing that's amazing there's several filmmakers we've been really excited to show the film to um that we really respect that have come out of the screening and the first thing they said is who did the music yeah like, they, oh. they want to steal them right <laughs> yeah, totally. uh, really amazing uh, so we love those guys and, and they're really amazing oh that's awesome um before I let you guys go, Dice, I need to ask you a quick question. I had uh, Ronnie Del Carmen on the show a while back, and I cornered him. Ab- I cornered him about this, so I need to corner you too. You probably have no control over this, but will we ever see another printing of the Totoro Forest Project book? 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's a good question. Please, yeah. please. <laughs> yeah, that would be nice, huh? Um, yeah, because I look on eBay, I look on Amazon, and I just can't afford the five, six hundred dollars that people want for it at this point. <laughs> well, one time it was I've seen actually twelve hundred dollars. Oh, that's the most version. Yeah, but yeah, I I'll work on it. Yeah, I've been requested many times, and it's been such a yeah, it's a uh, it's a complicating thing uh, with the uh, you know charity project with yeah. property attached to it, and you know it was such a dream project. Kind of, it's hard to kind of go back and open up, and we even had actually had a publisher who you know was this close to actually re- releasing the second edition, but it didn't work out because they couldn't quite. Um, you know, they couldn't quite do the uh, the quality that we wanted. Yeah. Um, it was really important for us not because you know we the reason why we did the book was to really thank our artists. You know, artists who donated their work. Uh, so we didn't want to do a cheap book. Yeah. Um, so the book itself cost just as much as uh, we made money. You know, from the book, so it was just a break-even kind of project. Uh, just so that you know, people who donated the book. I mean, uh, artwork can, you know, take the book as like a memory, yeah. but nice memory. But yeah, I love to do that again. Yeah, hopefully. Nice. I mean, I gotta yeah. imagine the, the copyright issues on it. I'm I'm printing that or reissuing something like that. It's got I've got to be a nightmare. But uh, <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, but yeah, I would love to get my hands on a copy. So you know, yeah. any reprinting would be very welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Robert Dice, thank you guys so much for your time. This has been amazing. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. We were talking a bit before the interview about um, not wanting to interrupt people as they as they talk, and you just wanted to listen. One that reminds me of one time when we were doing the podcast streaming. I still remember the guest and. It was Reiner Knizia. You can actually go listen to it. I edited it nicely. I was a good editor for that one. But I remember he was Jamie had asked him a question, and he was talking about it. And then all of a sudden, I asked the exact same question because I clearly must have zoned out. And he was like, well, maybe I must not have explained it okay enough. No, no, that's fine. I'll do it again. <laughs> that's the time where you just like... And then I realized Jamie clearly just asked that question, and I did too. <laughs> I, I remember that, and I remember kind of panicking in the moment because I was like, no, wait, I just asked him that. What are you doing? Yeah. And uh, he was. He was very sweet about it. I don't think he realized. I think he I think he meant you were, like, calling him, calling him on it. Like, he like he had done some kind of, like, a, a politician thing, like, had, like, yeah. not really answered our question, so you were just going to, like, be an ass <laughs> oh, and I ask totally it to him again. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, the, the funny part of that was you know, we're on Skype so I can see your face. We use video. The funny right. part of that was watching your face when you realized that you had just asked the same question again. That was priceless. <laughs> I, for that reason, I wish we still, I wish we had the video for that. Yeah, I know. Eh? <laughs> we're, we're hard hitting journalists. On this podcast. We, get the, we get to the root of everything. No, man, you got to answer that question. Again. Answer it, man. We're not going to get you, get, you're not going to get away with a softball answer. You're not getting, you're not getting away with that board game question. <laughs> oh my goodness. You don't look like Paula Zahn, but you might be. It's hard hitting questions. Yeah. It's, it's funny you mentioned that though, because 
I don't even try to hide the fact that I have ADHD. (laughs) And there's always something around me, right? It is surprisingly easy, no matter how fascinating the speaker is, to get distracted. So we did that interview uh, with these with with these two and, and I was I was at work I do a lot of these when we do them during the day I'm 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 at my office at work and I try I mute everything the phone <laughs> goes straight to voicemail I, you know I take care of this stuff turn off my cell phone that kind of thing but they're just still like people walking by in the background <laughs> and then like because they'll see the sign on my door like don't knock I'm recording kind of thing and then they'll stop and they'll peek in the window like what do you think I'm recording in here people <laughs> I know it's like ooh she's got her uh, her webcam show going <laughs> Woo! yeah and that kind of cracks me up because I'll see it I you know see the reflection and I'll turn around and there's somebody like literally peeking because I have blinds on the window through the crack like, what's she doing in there? That's hilarious. They're so distracting. So. <laughs> I don't blame you. I would be distracted by the creepy people peering in my office at me also, I think. It's kind of hard not to be distracted by something like that. <laughs> so so as you can tell, we run a tight ship around here. Oh, it's we're super pretty, tight. Uh, we're pretty professional in, in our professional offices. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So... Um, yeah, so that's, I guess that's it. Is there anything else you want to talk about, James? No, that's it. I'm sorry. I'm tired. (laughs) That's good. I can edit that. Okay. All right. So we're going to shout out some social media here. Why don't we, uh, where can we find everyone around the table here? Do we really have to shout it? Yes. There are people sleeping in my house. I shall just. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to shout because I feel like, I feel for the poor people who have like earbuds in right now. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, I'm Jamie at the Robots. Everywhere. And I'm Justin at 140. Justin C. Everywhere. <laughs> Samantha Fisher. You can find me on Twitter, at Samantha Fisher. You can find me on Facebook, uh, Samantha A. Fisher. Somebody stole my Samantha Fisher, clearly. <laughs> or you can find me on geekmom.com. Perfect. And go give, go like and subscribe everything that we ever post and put. So... <laughs> That way, <laughs> also do it to the show at the GBB podcast <laughs> on Facebook and Twitter. And thank you guys so much. Hit the subscribe button if you don't. If you don't already, of course you do. But if you don't, hit it. We'll see you next time. Take care. <laughs> this podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad.